Over the past couple of months, we've been working our way through a, a book in the, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, that's uh, entitled Acts. Uh, this book is uh, part two of, uh, of an account that a guy named Luke has been recording. Um, he's writing both uh, uh, an account of Jesus' life and teachings that's entitled Luke, uh, and this book of Acts to a guy named Theophilus, a guy who has heard about Jesus, who has been taught about Jesus, and who is hoping and trusting in Jesus. Um, but maybe like you and like me, we can identify with Theophilus, who seems to be struggling to know whether the things that he's been taught about Jesus are really true and real. Not just that they're true and real, but they will make a difference in his life as he's living it now, as you are living and as I'm living. Because to follow Jesus in a world where things are, are messed up and broken, where it seems like uh, the kingdoms of this world are in opposition to everything about Jesus, when the things that we see happening in our lives, sometimes we can question and wonder, is Jesus really still at work? Does he care about what's going on in my life? Is he going to make all things right? How am I going to make it through the next day? It's important that we listen to what Luke is writing to us, that we too, like Theophilus, might have certainty concerning who Jesus is and what he is doing. Remember, it's important for us to, to, to remember that from the Bible's perspective, Jesus isn't just seen as just a good teacher a moralist or a revolutionary. Um, Luke begins this account of Acts, this historical eyewitness account as he's as interviewed and talked to people. Luke, from uh, the, the time period, is an impeccable historian. And what he's telling us is that although Jesus died, he really rose from the dead. And not just did Jesus rise from the dead, but he ascended to heaven. And Jesus right now rules and reigns. He is king over everything. He wasn't just a good teacher. He's God in the flesh who rules over all things in this earth and in all of creation. And what Jesus is doing now, which is what Luke tells us at the beginning of Acts, that he's writing to tell us about what Jesus is continuing to do. Jesus is still active. He's doing something. What is he doing? He's establishing and spreading and growing his kingdom. And so this is going to be important for us as God's people uh, to realize that Jesus really is still at work and that he is establishing his kingdom. Um, so if you would, let's look at chapter 12 of Acts. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles uh, there in your seats, um, this is on page 920. We're actually going to look at the whole chapter this morning um, as we uh, encounter here things that are seem to be barriers that come in uh, uh, as in opposition to Christ establishing his kingdom. And so hopefully we can grow in seeing uh, certainty that Jesus is working and he is establishing his kingdom despite the things that we face uh, in this world and that we see in this chapter. Um, so if you would, look with me. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. About that time, 
Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the, the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, that's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he ex uh, examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that uh, this morning you would use uh, this chapter of Acts, chapter 12. Uh, Holy Spirit, you would apply your living word to the hearts and minds of your people um, that we wouldn't just grow in, in knowledge, but that you would change our hearts, you would change our lives, you would change our desires for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.
so the the first thing that that we can see in this passage is that Jesus is at work establishing his kingdom in the face of opposition. In our world still, we see that there are people who are opposed to the king. And here in this passage, we see someone who is in has great opposition to King Jesus. Notice how that's shown here uh, in the way that Herod is acting as we see his opposition to, to King Jesus. First, it's, it's evident as, as Herod is opposed to the people of the king. Look in, in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Remember, the church, that terminology is picking up on Old Testament language that is describing the the people that God has gathered to him to be his people and gathered to worship and be in his presence. Here, Herod is demonstrating his opposition to King Jesus because he is opposed to and wanting to set violent hands on the people of the king. It it even goes further uh, in verse 2. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Remember, as, uh, as we saw in the, in the early parts of Acts, Jesus, as he's communicating that he is establishing his renewed people, he set 12 apostles over uh, the people to demonstrate and show that this is uh, restored and renewed Israel moving forward to accomplish their mission. Here, this is James, one of the 12, one of these leaders Herod's thinking is, as if I attack God's this, the, the people of the king, and, and if I attack the leaders of the king, uh, it'll put this, uh, the, the, these people down. It, it'll bring an end to the spread of this kingdom and the, the bother that it's causing me. And so he, he kills and seeks to, uh, uh, to, to take out the leaders of the people. He kills James by the sword, and it tells him that then when he saw that it pleased the Jews... So this is the the religious leaders there in Jerusalem who had rejected Jesus. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he's putting Peter in prison as well. It seemed to work good for James. We put him down. It seemed to gather me favor. Um, People were impressed with me, the leaders. I need to have more influence because I'm all about establishing my kingdom. And if I can get the Jews looking at me, I'll do whatever it takes. And if that means me opposing Jesus and putting down his people, I'll do whatever it takes. We see this still evident in our world today. That there are kingdoms that are opposed to and in opposition to God and to his people. Um, as we've talked about it before in China, in Iran, in uh, North Korea, even here in Elizabeth City. Have you ever experienced opposition from others because you know and claim and follow Jesus? Not because you're a jerk in the way that you communicate the truth about Jesus. Don't confuse that for persecution. Don't confuse that for opposition to Jesus. But in the way that you're seeking to love and follow Christ and communicate the truth to Him and the, the stands maybe that you've had to make, sacrifices that you've had to make for naming and following Him, we can begin to wonder, I'm experiencing all this opposition 
as one of God's people, I thought Jesus was at work. I thought he was establishing his kingdom, but it seems that every time I try to live faithfully for Christ, every time I try to step out and live for him in my workplace or in my family, all that happens is more and more suffering, more and more opposition. And we can begin to wonder, is Jesus really at work? Is he establishing his kingdom? But it goes on. It's, it's not just that Herod is opposed to, to the people of the king, but he's opposed to the redemption of the king. Notice at all the extent that he goes to to make sure Peter doesn't escape. In verse 4 and following, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. What they, these would have done is they would have cycled through the watches of the night so that there were always four people watching Peter, making sure he wouldn't get out. Not, not just that. It tells us that in the, the jail cell, in verse 6, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound in chains. So Peter's chained, he's in between two soldiers, and then outside of that, two more soldiers are standing guard. Remember, what happened the last time Peter was put in prison? God intervened. God came in. God released and delivered Peter and John from jail. News has gotten out and gotten back to Herod that Jesus is operating and he's working and apparently he delivered Peter the last time. And Herod is saying, it's not going to happen again. Not on my watch. When I'm in charge, I'm going to make sure that there's no possible way that anybody can claim that Jesus is working now and that he has the power to deliver and redeem his people in the midst of this. And so Herod goes to the fullest extent of his power possible to make sure that there is no way that Jesus will be able to redeem and act here. He's asserting his power, his authority, and he is opposed to King Jesus, to his people and his redemption. But notice what happens. Notice what happens in verse seven. An angel of the Lord stood next to Peter and a bright light shone in the cell. He struck Peter and said, wake up, get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. And he says, put on your cloak, follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He didn't know what was being done was by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. But then he'd, he'd passed through the first and the second guard. He came to the iron gate leading the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. This terminology where it's talking about the angel of the Lord is when Peter is talking about the Lord. Remember what we've seen in Acts so far. That is terminology that is referring to Jesus. And what Peter is saying here is in the midst of all that, this opposition that Herod's putting up, in the midst of his opposition to try to oppose the king's people, in the midst of his opposition to oppose the redemption of the king, Jesus breaks in. He works and he acts. He sends his angel 
And Herod cannot thwart the redemptive purposes of Jesus and he brings out Peter and sets him free. And notice the results of the work of what Jesus does in verse 24. In the midst of all of this, the Word of God increased and multiplied. You see, what Luke is telling us and beginning to show us is that as God's people, we should grow in our understanding of certainty, of realizing that Jesus is the King, that He rules, that He is still at work, that He is establishing His kingdom even in the face of the opposition by the kingdoms of this world. Well, maybe this was just what Jesus did back then. Are you telling me we're really supposed to think that Jesus still works and acts this way now? Or was it only what he was doing back in the book of Acts? No, opposition is still occurring. Um, Over the the past couple of years, um, opposition to Jesus as king is growing in Iran. Um, The Ayatollah Khomeini, when he came into power in 1979, um, outlawed Christianity. You could not evangelize. You couldn't own Bibles. Uh, He was beginning to kill uh, pastors in the area. The church in Iran was at the, uh, the point of being completely annihilated and demolished. Estimates were in 1979 that there were only maybe... 500 believers in the country of Iran at all. The Khomeini was trying to do all that he could to squash out Jesus' kingdom in Iran. But guess what happened? Jesus is still working. He's still establishing His kingdom. And He can do it in the face of opposition of the kingdoms of this world. And guess what began to happen? The church began to grow. Where there were only 500 believers in Iran in the late 70s, early 80s, now some estimates put it at almost a million. The the country in the world where Christianity is growing the most and the church is spreading the most is in Iran. Some people have said the greatest evangelist ever to happen in Iran is the Ayatollah Khomeini. In the face of this persecution, in the face of this suffering, Jesus is strengthening, caring for, loving, enabling, and empowering His church. And these Christians are emboldened to continue to share the gospel. And the kingdom is spreading. And the kingdom is growing. If Jesus did it in Acts, and He's doing it in Iran, can He not... Do it in your life and mine as well. You see, what Luke is is showing us is that this is part of the character of who our God is. Notice uh, the the terminology that, that Luke is using here in the imagery. He is wanting to connect and have us remember as we're we're reading about this deliverance that Peter experienced of recalling and thinking back of another great act of redemption that God did for His people in the face of opposition. And that's the Exodus. If you remember back in, uh, in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh was opposed to God's people. He was seeking to op- oppress them and crush and destroy them. 
But God acted and He did a great work of redemption, came in and delivered His people. Notice here, uh, in, in the context, when is this persecution of Peter and this deliverance of Peter happening? Notice uh, what it, it says up in, um, in verse 3 and 4, that it was during the days of unleavened bread, and it was around the time of, which would have been around the time of Passover, that it tells us in verse 4. So this deliverance is happening in the context of, of the Passover. In verse 8, the angel says, dress yourself and put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around me. If you have time later to go back to Exodus and read, this is the same language that God uses of his people to tell them to wrap your cloak around you. Put your sandals on. Be prepared and ready because I am getting ready to deliver you. And then in verse 11, when Peter responds and says, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. uh, This is almost uh, a direct quote from the Greek translation of the Old Testament of the song of praise that Moses gives to recount about how the Lord delivered him and his people from the hand of uh, of Pharaoh. You see, the, the God that we serve is a God who is in the business of delivering and saving his people, who is in the business of overcoming opposition to his people so that his people thrive and grow and his name can go forth in the nations. This is what we see here. Jesus was at work in the Old Testament and he is at work here in Acts and he's work in your life and mine. The question is, is will we have certainty? Will we rest and hope in him? Because really the temptation there when we experience opposition and frustration in this world is to turn our hopes other places. Some of us can, instead of resting in the certainty of who Jesus is, we can begin to trust in the kingdoms of this world in politics and in legislation, that the only hope we have to, uh, to change things in our world is to, to, to trust sometimes too deeply or too fully in change and deliverance coming from how voting or certain administrations will be in power or not. Over the next year, there's going to be a huge election time for our country. There are going to be some of us here who... Uh, Your hope is being placed that the only uh, place for for hope and deliverance in our country and in your world will be on an administrative change and another party coming in and establishing rule. Others will be putting our hopes or your hopes and trust in the, the administration who's in power now that their staying in power will be what brings the, the most uh, fullness to your life and to your experience. And God is saying, be very careful how you trust and hope in the nations of this world, because ultimately what is most important is my kingdom. And it may mean that uh, cruel and oppressive authorities come into power, but you need to rest and realize and know that I am in charge, regardless of who gets elected in the U.S., regardless of what kind of religious freedom we may gain or we may lose. Jesus is still in control. He is still working. He is still active. And what that means is that on the, uh, the flip side, those of us who may, may be fearful, fearful of the kingdoms of, of man, God is saying, rest in me. 
Because regardless of what they put up against you and against me, I am sufficient and I can work and I can move and nothing will uh, thwart my purposes that I have for my people or my great work of redemption. But sometimes it's hard for us to really believe that, isn't it? Uh, the end of last year, um, uh, some Under Armour released some new shoes, the Steph Curry fives. Stephen Curry is uh, one of the uh, top five best basketball players in the world. Um, he's won MVPs. Uh, he's won multiple championships. Uh, he, uh, through his shooting, has transformed the way that NBA basketball is played. Uh, many describe him as being the best shooter ever to play the game, and he is breaking three-point records left and right. He just broke his hand, so he's not going to be breaking any records anytime soon, but he's still an incredible player. Well, he's got these shoes out, the Steph Curry Fives, and there was this girl in California. Uh, she was a nine-year-old point guard, and she wanted... Steph Curry shoes, the Steph Curry fives to play on our team. But she goes to the Under Armour website to try to find them. And she looks under the girls listing of shoes and the Steph Curry fives aren't there. She looks all around the site. She goes to the boys section and looks. They're listed under the boys section. Boys can get Steph Curry fives, but girls, no. So she starts thinking, well, maybe I'll write him. Maybe I'll write Steph Curry. So she writes a letter to Steph Curry explaining what's going on, um, never anticipating or thinking there was ever going to be a response. But lo and behold, what happens? Steph Curry gets her letter. Steph Curry reads her letter. Steph Curry writes her a letter back saying, I'm so sorry this has happened. For the past two days, I've been working with Under Armour to get this changed. And right now, the site's being changed. But guess what? I'm going ahead and right now, I'm sending you the Steph Curry Fives. I'm going to, again, make sure you will be one of the first kids in the country to get the Steph Curry Sixes when they come out next year. And by the way, I want to invite you in March to come to uh, Oakland to watch the Warriors play and spend time with me. She said she was blown away. She said, I never thought he would respond. He's such a busy man. If Steph Curry could take the time and have the heart to respond to a nine-year-old girl who's writing about shoes, do you, do you think your, your God might respond in any way similar to Steph Curry? Or do sometimes do we underestimate? Do we underestimate God's uh, if he if he can act or respond, if he will respond, if he cares to respond? Sometimes we can we can wonder. Maybe we're like her. We 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 write these letters. We send these prayers to God in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our questions, because that's what we're supposed to do. Never really thinking. He'll respond, underestimating the desire of our God to act and work 
and move in the lives of his people. Do you see that here in this passage? Where Jesus is at work establishing his kingdom even in the midst of the underestimation that his people has of his care and of his power. Notice with Peter in verse 6, it tells us Peter is getting ready to die the next day. They're going to bring him up before the Jews. What's he doing? He's sleeping. Two things could be going on. Peter's either really comfortable trusting Jesus in the midst of this moment, or he's kind of just giving himself up and saying, well, I'm going to die. What else am I, I going to do? But, but notice what, what happens. E- even when, the, when the, the angel appears, Peter can't believe that it's happening. Peter never expected this would occur because he thinks everything that's going on is a dream. Do you notice how, how often that came up? It says in verse 9, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought that he was seeing a vision. And then it goes on and it says, when he came to himself in verse 11, uh, he said, now I am sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod. Peter was underestimating if, how, when Jesus could act, would act, would want to act. I mean, James just died. What hope is there for me? But here we see Jesus moving and acting. Uh, but even in the, with, the, with the church, we see the same thing. It tells us in verse 5, that when Peter was, was uh, kept in prison, the church gave earnest prayers uh, to God on Peter's behalf. But, but notice, they're praying. What are they praying? They're asking God to deliver Peter? Maybe. I'm sure they were praying that for James, but look what happened. So they're praying earnestly, asking God to move, to do something. Will you save Peter? Will you deliver him? Will you stop this execution from happening? Notice what happens. In verse 13, Peter gets released. He comes and knocks on the door. Rhoda runs to the door. She hears Peter. Doesn't really tell us whether she sees him or not. She's like, it's Peter. In her joy, she runs back to tell everybody that it tells us in verse 12. They were gathered together and praying. They're in the midst of praying and asking God to do something on Peter's behalf. She comes in and says, hey, guys, guess what? God's done something. Peter's been delivered. He's outside. And what do they say? You're out of your mind. You are out of your mind, Rhoda. There's no way God would act and work and move in this way. This circumstance and situation is too far gone. We were hoping for something, but what you're talking about is nonsense. She keeps telling them. Peter's out there. I'm telling you, God's delivered him. Peter is standing at the gate. What do they say? It says she kept insisting and they kept saying, it tells us in verse 15, it's his angel or in other ways, you know, we could maybe translate it into our terminology uh, or it's, it's just his, his ghost. Maybe he's already been been killed and, and, he, and he's appearing to us in, in that way. Whatever they're meaning, this is clear. They were not expecting God to do this, to be able to do it or that he even would do it. But he does. God works and moves in a way, even in the midst of his people, underestimating his ability to work 
and move and be delivered. Peter communicates and says, look, the Lord is the one who acted. The Lord is the one who brought me out and delivered me. Sometimes we wonder, maybe you're still asking these questions in the circumstances and struggles that you're facing. Maybe you've been praying for a while and you're wondering, you're underestimating whether God can work in your situation and what you're struggling with. You're underestimating and and, and wondering and questioning whether God will do something or even if he cares about what's going on. You've been praying, but you don't really think that God will do anything. This passage really causes us to, to look and see that Jesus is active and working. And there will be times in our lives where even when our prayers are not perfect, when our prayers and our pleadings before our God are mixed with our doubts and our fears and our confusion, that God in his mercy still works. God isn't some magic genie where you have to get the, the, the spell and the incantation just perfect and exactly right for him to work and act. We see here that God works and he moves even in the face of our underestimation. But we could say, all right, but what about James? Sure, he worked to deliver Peter, but James just before this was killed. Were they not praying for James too? Did God not care for James? Why was James killed and Peter gets let free? Again, this can be a source, an insight into our hearts and our underestimating of our God and his ability and his purposes to use suffering in the world. Notice how the suffering is being used here. There's a lot of parallels that Luke is giving us here of Peter's suffering in the midst of this situation and the suffering that Jesus faced. Uh, Just as Peter was arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread around the time of the Passover, Jesus, too, was arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread around the time of the Passover. Uh, Jesus was opposed by a ruler at the time named Herod. This is a different Herod, but still, Peter is experiencing opposition by a man named Herod. Uh, Jesus, throughout his trial, was to be brought before the Jewish people. Here, we see that what Herod is waiting to do is intending after the Passover, in verse 4, to bring Peter out to the people. And then at the, at the end, when, when Peter is finally delivered, just as when Jesus rises from the dead and he tells them, go and tell Peter and the others about my deliverance. Here, Peter uses similar language. He says in uh, verse 17, tell these things to James and the others. Then he departed and went to another place. Uh, you see, what, what Luke is doing is wanting to show us the, the parallels that there are between God's people suffering and Jesus suffering. You see, when we as God's people suffer, what we're doing is we're reflecting Jesus suffering on our behalf. We already seen in Acts the people of God who suffer for Jesus sake see it as a privilege to be able to demonstrate in their lives what Jesus did for them. 
Are they, are they earning anything through their suffering? No. They're being able to demonstrate and show the sufficiency of their suffering Lord on their behalf. And the other things that reminds us is that Jesus suffered. Jesus, the one that we underestimate so many times in our hearts, entered into our world. He entered into our pain. Can he do something? He did do something. Will he do something? He already has and he continues to. Does he care? Yes. He cared enough to suffer and die for his people that he might deliver us. And in the midst of our times of suffering now, when we underestimate Jesus' ability to be able to use suffering, we're called to have certainty in who he is and what he has done. So we've seen that Jesus is at work and he's still establishing his kingdom in the face of opposition to the king in the midst of underestimation of the king. And lastly, we see how Jesus establishes his kingdom through the justice of the king. Look in verses 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat on a throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Here we see Herod is judged. The justice of the king comes to bear with what is going on. Uh, it's something that's interesting to see, though, is that in verse 23, when Herod is judged, it says this, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. An angel of Jesus, we could say, if we're understanding it in the context. Here, Jesus is actively at work bringing justice, bringing judgment. The, the one who redeems is also the one who judges. Do you not see the parallel in the language? Here in verse uh, 23, it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Back over in verse 7, when Peter is being delivered, look at the second part of it. The angel of the Lord stood next to him, a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side. You see, Jesus is active in both places. Jesus is active both to redeem and Jesus is active both to judge. Sometimes we can have confusion about this. We like to think about Jesus as being a redeemer, a savior, a merciful king. But what do we do with this idea that Jesus is a just king who will punish wrongdoers? Just this uh, over the past couple of weeks, there's been a trial that just finished up in Manio. For uh, Michael Brady, uh, the guy who was the, the ringleader of the uh, uh, attempted escape from the Pasquotank Correctional Facility that resulted in the murder of four uh, correctional institution um, uh, employees. Uh, he brutally and they brutally murdered uh, these people. Uh, one of the ladies that he killed, he even referred to and talked to as being a mother figure to him and the other uh, inmates. But that didn't stop his cruelty of going and slaughtering her because she stood in his way 
of freedom and getting out. Um, the jury heard it, declared him guilty, and the, the, the sentencing phase came. It only took them uh, a little, uh, just a, a few hours. They came back and gave Michael Brady the death penalty. Now, uh, the, uh, the family members, especially of the woman who was slaughtered, uh, said that they were relieved. That they were relieved that justice took place. It brought them a bit of comfort. Think about, though, the opposite response. What if the jury and the judge had came back and said, you know what? We feel really, really sorry for Michael Brady. And we want to show him mercy in this instance. And so, you know what? We're not going to give him the death penalty. We're not going to give him life imprisonment. We're going to go ahead and let him out. We're going to forgive him of this crime and send him on his way. What would be the reaction and the response? That would not be justice. There would be outrage. You would say, this is not a good jury. This is not a good judge. Because in the absence of justice, in the absence of judgment when it is needed, goodness is not there. A good judge, a good ruler applies justice when it's needed. And here we see that Jesus' justice and Jesus' gracious redemption are not opposed to one another. They go hand in hand. The fact that Jesus judges others is a reflection of his goodness. Notice why he judged Herod. It's because he did not give glory to God. That's demonstrated in him being focused on himself as they're proclaiming glory to him. It's demonstrated as he seeks to kill out and squash out Jesus' kingdom. But... The question we have to ask is, who deserves this kind of judgment? Just guys like Herod? Or are all of us, deep in our hearts, opposed to the kingdom of God? Do we not give proper glory to God as He deserves? The Bible says the root of that, that is really what sin is. Wanting us to be king, wanting us to have the glory, us being opposed to God's kingdom. You see, it's not just Herod that deserves this type of judgment. The scriptures are clear. All of us deserve this type of judgment. All of us deserve the wrath of God. But in his mercy, we can be forgiven in Christ. How? How does that not violate God's justice? How is that not just like the jury letting Michael Brady go? Well, this is the reason. Because Jesus, King Jesus, who entered into our world, he suffered and he died, not just as an example of how to give your life for a cause, but he suffered and died in our place to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin. As we are hoping and trusting in Jesus, the justice of God is satisfied through the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. This Exodus language points back to the same stuff. Remember, uh, where the Passover comes from is God provides a lamb to smear blood over the doorpost of the, the people of Israel's house. And God says, I'm sending my angel and if he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. But he's going to strike the firstborn of the houses of the Egyptians. What's he saying? Israel, you're not spared and saved because you're so good. You're not spared and saved because you're better than the Egyptians. 
You're spared and saved because you're hoping and trusting in my provision and my bloodshed. You deserve to be die, to die like the Egyptians. And if it weren't for your hoping and trusting in my blood, then you would be killed too. That is true for all of us. If you were here this morning and you're trusting and hoping in Jesus, it is absolutely necessary that you and I realize we deserve the wrath and justice and judgment of Jesus. We are no better than anyone else. But in His mercy and in His grace, our King has pursued us. He has brought His justice, but it was poured out on Himself. And He offers us mercy as we hope and trust in Him. If you're here this morning and you would say, ah, I'm still not sure if this is really true or not. I would say I'm not hoping and following and trusting in Jesus. Um, hear and see what Luke is saying and what Jesus is saying. All of our sin deserves God's punishment. But God is offering mercy in the person of Christ. And as you look and hope and trust in Him, you can find forgiveness and acceptance and be brought in to the kingdom of Jesus who is working and establishing His kingdom despite the oppositions to the king, despite the underestimation of the king, and through the justice of the king. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your uh, forgiveness, for Your work on our behalf. We thank You that You have sacrificed Yourself for us. We pray that You would continue to apply uh, the good news of the gospel to our hearts. Humble us. May we look and hope and depend upon You. And may we rest in Your death for us, in Your life for us, in Your return for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.